Of course, we've been in a series simply called Just Jesus, a return to let's just listen to what Jesus says. There's, there's so many messages out there, and I guess even in our, um, in our church world, if I could put it that way, there's, there's so many things that people talk about. And I just, as I get older, I, I just keep returning to the fact that I think if we're not talking about Jesus more than anything else, we could really be missing something here. You know, people love to get off on tangents and side things and whatever. And, and I just always look at it through the filter of how much of Jesus is in that. And if there's not a lot of it, then be very careful of it. And so we've been looking at Jesus and uh, the desire to, and, and right through the next year, I mean, certainly to the end of the year, of course, we have Christmas upon us. But right into next year, really just want to preach through the Gospels and looking at Jesus and what Jesus said. And we've been listening to him. We've been listening to him from Matthew chapter 5 and uh, what is well known as the Beatitudes. It's, a, uh, it's just a handle that's been put on it. It originally comes from the Latin. Uh, it means to be happy and to be rich. Happy and rich of soul. And it's a, like a perfect transliteration of the Greek word for blessing. And so we have this term, the Beatitudes, not necessarily a Bible word, but it's a handle that we use for these things that Jesus said. And we're going to look at the last three of those today. This is the last in the series. And this, the Beatitudes, of course, they're like the intro to the whole Sermon on the Mount that we find Matthew chapter 5 through to Matthew chapter 7. And so uh, that's where we're headed. Me and Jesus. Think about you and Jesus. Is Jesus your saviour today? Now, that might not be all of us. You're very welcome if he's not. Very, very welcome. But for many in this place, you would identify that Jesus is Saviour. You look to him outside of yourself, understanding that you can't really change your circumstances. You need a Saviour. Cool? Who's found Jesus as friend? As well. Not just Saviour. Not just Lord. Friend. Okay. Who's found Jesus? Because you're all looking like, yeah, absolutely. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in, Chris. I'm in. Who's found Jesus uncomfortable? <laughs> now we're getting honest, aren't we? Isn't it amazing how God loves you just the way you are and refuses to leave you there? Because he loves you too much <laughs> to leave you the way that he found you. And Jesus always takes us somewhere. And certainly when we look at the Beatitudes and, and everything Jesus teaches really around Sermon on the Mount is a collection of Jesus' teachings, really his core teachings. And they challenge us or they should challenge us. If we really read them, if we really read our scripture, they should challenge us to the core of our being, because they are so contrary to the spirit of our age, to the spirit of this world and how it behaves and how it expects us to behave. And then Jesus comes in countercultural with a different spirit and teaches us how we are to respond to our world, because we find ourselves in a world created absolutely magnificent and beautiful scarred by sin. And so Jesus helps us navigate and negotiate and teaches us what it is to be new creations, 
to be new creatures. Think about that. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, that when you meet Christ, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. You are a new creation. And what Jesus is talking about here is how new creation thinks and acts. And it's really, really challenging to that old creation part of us because we are all still people of dust. So there's this heavenly treasure, as Paul puts it in another place, in earthen vessels, jars of clay. It wouldn't be too going too far to say crackpots. <laughs> and so Jesus teaches us how to live. Just Jesus part three. I'm going to read all the scripture I've been reading every, every uh, part of this series. I want to set the context. Matthew chapter four is the context. Then Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness amongst the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them. And the last verse says, and large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. So that's the scene setting, large crowds of people pushing into Jesus because they've seen the miracles. They've seen literally the kingdom of God manifest amongst them. They are hungry for more. They are leaning in. It's like Jesus is the one with the answers. Our hope is in him. And then he begins to teach them this is what it is to live in the kingdom of God. And we get to these passages in chapter 5. I'll begin at verse 3. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then we come to the passages that I want to share today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's just, it's just amazing to me, like almost every one of these Beatitudes, I can find a reason why I don't want to be the way Jesus told me to be. I'm having a really hard time people bagging me out. I'm just going to give thanks. Oh, it comes so naturally to the dust part of me. Not. And yet Jesus says this is the way to, res to respond to a world that you find yourself in. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
I've said it before, but we do really need to read these verses in the context that Jesus found himself in. First century Israel under Roman occupation. Where people were agitating for change, they wanted this over and they had done for a couple of hundred years. They had been oppressed. And by other nations before Rome. There was political angst in the air. There was agitation. There was the desire for an uprising. Even Jesus had a zealot. In other words, a political activist in his inner circle of disciples. I don't think it's because Jesus particularly might have wanted one. I think it's just because it was probably hard to pick someone in Israel and not get one at that time. Although knowing Jesus, he probably did intend it very much. And this is the context that Jesus says, you're blessed if you're a peacemaker. To people who are raging against the machine, he says, you're blessed if you're a peacemaker. This is really the context of turn the other cheek as well. See, turn the other cheek, when Jesus said that, that was a reality in first century Israel. Like now it's metaphoric. How many of us got slapped because we believed in Jesus last week? Probably not a lot of us. And I don't want that to happen either. But when Jesus said these words, he was talking when it was a present reality. Turn the other cheek. I do think it's metaphorical, but I think that's changing. I think we're seeing it change right now in Western society, with cancel culture, with our world that delights itself and celebrates its inclusivity and then actually cancels, rejects and persecutes any ideological thought outside of its own narrow path. So I think that we, we could be sadly seeing a little bit of a return to this and in the middle of it all, Jesus speaks and he, he urges us really to be reacting in an opposite spirit to what our world wants to put upon us. We've got this thing in our world, really, it's push me, shove you. That's the spirit of the age. Jesus says, push me, love you. And that's not easy. I'm not saying any of this is easy. I struggle with this. Do you? Because if you don't struggle with it, you've never really wrestled with it. You know, if you haven't got a problem with the Bible, you've never really read it. If you haven't got a problem with Jesus at times, you've never really tried to engage him. Jesus is like your pet theory. But the reality is living that, incarnating it, bringing his word into the flesh. Boy, oh boy. Paul had a word for it. He said, die. Crucify. I crucify myself. Literally. Because it's the only way that our flesh will ever, ever embrace what the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is really, really all about. What the spirit of Jesus is really all about. The model of Jesus. If we look at peacemaker, Jesus was our model. We, we often say, what would Jesus do, don't we? <laughs> That's a great saying. Like that is fantastic theology. I'd say that is Christianity 101. You know, it, we, back in the 90s, some of you remember, we made that fairly kitschy, put it on armbands when rubber armbands were the thing. Sorry, if you've still got one on. I sort of have. 
It's a Fitbit, but it's, you know, it's sort of a rubber amber. WWJD bracelets, remember those? The fact is, that is the best theology that was ever put into four letters. What would Jesus do? And what Jesus did, of course, was when wrath came his way, when hatred came his way, when pain came his way, he emptied himself, Scripture says in Philippians 2, the kenosis. He made himself nothing. I have nothing to defend of myself. I have nothing to prove. And he became the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word used three times in the New Testament. It means wrath-absorbing sacrifice. He became the wrath-absorbing sacrifice. So unlike most of us who like to sort of We like to think we wouldn't do this, but really when it comes down to it, push me, shove you, tends to be the groove we fall into. Instead of that, Jesus spread his arms and died and absorbed the wrath. Well could he say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. So if you really believe the cross is the answer, then we believe that. The problem enters in when we lose our, I think, right now I know we're all struggling with it, but when we lose our sort of cosmic, if I could put it that way, perspective of what God was doing in the cross of Christ, there's been such an individualised Christianity preached and taught ever since I've been a Christian in the mid-80s when I became a Christian. It's all been about you getting in the Jesus bubble. Me and Jesus. I've even said it already today. But we have to understand that God is doing something so much bigger. Is that true, me and Jesus? Yes, yes, but it's not the only truth. It's not the only facet of that diamond, that God's redemptive work is not just this personal thing that releases me from guilt and shame so I can go live a brand new life, but that God is redeeming all things, all people, this whole world, this whole planet is God's purpose in Christ. When we lose that perspective, we gain our own rights again. Any pushback, it it impinges on my rights. And as Paul says, you know, we're meant to be dead. And dead people don't have rights. Dead to ourselves, but alive to what God is doing through Christ. You okay out there? This isn't a rebuke. Please, this is me struggling with what Jesus said. And because I'm a preacher, I get to do it publicly. And that is so much fun. But again, if we're not struggling with these things, we're not really reading our Bibles. And and I know that straight away, and I think this, it's straight away. But what about war? What about place where you've got to push back? You've ever asked that question. What should a Christian do? I mean, what, were you, what, what are you to do if ISIS rises again? Stand by idly and watch? I don't know. I haven't really, you know, I haven't come to a full conclusion on this, but this, here's, here's a couple of thoughts, and that is I think governments have got to do what governments have got to do. That's why we've got governments. Within the context of that governmental structure, Christians have got to act on their conscience. And if someone said, you know what, I think this needs to stop because it's destroying humanity, I would go, God bless you. 
And if someone said, you know what, I just can't do that, I cannot equate that to the Jesus I know, then I would say, God bless you. The, the, the only mistake in it is, is when we somehow try and make a war a righteous cause like God is on our side. Don't spiritualize it. It's a very human-based thing, and it's awful. And it seems to be sadly necessary at times amongst broken human beings. And in the midst of that, people who've committed their heart to Christ have to follow their own conscience on what they believe God is happy for them to do. That might seem strange, but I think it's strange when Paul says, if you're a slave, don't seek to be loosed in the New Testament. Now, I do know why he said it, because you get your throat cut if you bucked your masters in first century Rome. You're allowed to do that with your slaves. But when some of those slaves, and many slaves, were actually slaves because they were sexually used, or possibly even fighting in arenas, that makes that crazy, doesn't it? That's the first century world that the New Testament was born into. No wonder Jesus was good news. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called children of God. So where's the blessing? Well, it never ceases to amaze me. Someone just said it this morning. Actually, uh, my brother said it to me about my grandchild. He said, boy, he looks like Sue. Family resemblances never cease to amaze me. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I don't know whether you'd make those observations. How can a child look like two different people all at the same time? You know what I mean? Or, or look like the generation before or whatever. But family resemblance, resemblance is a very real thing. It's a very, very powerful thing. It's unmistakable. We say things like, oh, he's got his father's eyes. Where's the blessing in being a peacemaker? Well, peacemaker is family resemblance. Jesus said, you will be called children of God. In other words, just the way that we can see the likeness of a child with their parent, Jesus is saying, if you operate in this spirit, in this broken world and age, then it's obvious whose child you are. We could paraphrase this, uh, this scripture this beatitude, happy and rich of soul are those who interrupt the cycle of violence by responding in a different spirit. For in those moments, they look just like Jesus. And when you determine to be a peacemaker, you're easily recognisable as a child of God from right across the playground of the universe. You notice that how mums could just spot their kid like, two kilometres away, by the way they walk or the way they wear their clothes or whatever. Have you noticed how mums can distinguish? I'm just saying mums because I think they're the best at it, but you can have a whole gaggle of toddlers screaming in a room and laughing and playing and rolling blocks and one little cry. And a mum who's having a conversation 10 metres away, if she wants to respond, unless she's waiting for her husband, but a mum 10 metres away can go, bang, can just discern that one little cry out of the whole noise. 
And I honestly think that's what Jesus is saying. You respond to your broken world like this. You engage it with the same spirit of Christ. And when God looks at you, he can see his child. So I'm going to pick someone today as I have been. Actually, I think I might just pick on Warwick. We haven't mentioned them for a while. (laughs) I'm going to ask you guys a question. Are you determined to be peacemakers in every situation possible? That's the question we've all got to ask ourselves. And I know you're saying yes. And so I'm going to pronounce a blessing. I'm going to say that is a blessing. You'll be happy and rich of soul because you live that way. Amen. Got time for another one? I'm going to have to do the next two very fast. But that's good because they're very similar. They're both about persecution in a sense. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And, and by righteousness, let's, let's sort of define that, define that time, term like we did last week very, very quickly. Uh, it, it is to be put right. Righteousness is to be put right. Okay, for things to be put right. And I think Jesus here, he's not talking about an individual. He's actually talking about our world. So he's saying, really, blessed are those who are persecuted because they love to see things put right. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, everyone's persecuted over something. Just ask any Ford owner. Hey, Sam. (laughs) The key is... The key is to be persecuted for the right stuff. I mean, everyone suffers something. Everyone suffers some form of payout in life. The point is, it's a blessing to be persecuted for the right reasons. And if you look at it, our whole world is suffering a massive identity crisis. Everything in our society is about identifying in some way at the moment. Have you noticed that? from gender issues to fashion to mobile phones. Everyone is somehow trying to find their, their tribe and where they belong, where they fit. The peoples of the earth are desperately trying to reconnect with something of substance. And it's ironic that by and large, this world has rejected the only one who can give true identity. This world hates the very one who could cure it and everyone who reminds them of their need Anyone tried to share Jesus in the marketplace recently? You find some people are really open, but if you're not really careful, you'll be, you'll be on, in the firing squad before you know it. Just as Jesus faced persecution, so will his followers. So where's the blessing in that? Where's the blessing in being persecuted? The only thing I could think of, and again... These aren't a distillation of other people's teachings. I've tried to approach all of this just from a pastoral mindset, my own pastor's heart. And when I think about this, I think people who go through a really tough time tend to find God in a way that you will never find God outside of going through a tough time. I've just seen that. I've seen that with sickness. I've seen that with loss and grief. I've seen it with trouble and persecution. I've seen it everywhere across the planet. It's exactly the same. That people in pain somehow find the healing hand of Jesus and find the intervention of God and find the the provision of God in a way that you could never find it on a good day. 
Somehow Jesus says, this brings us close to the kingdom of heaven. When you find yourself in the crucible of suffering. And we should never pursue pain. We should never consider it spiritual if it's self-inflicted. But when we suffer for his sake, you know, early Christians considered it an honour. I want to read us a passage out of Acts chapter 3, uh, sorry, chapter 5. And says, um, this is where they're before the council, some of the early apostles. And they agreed with him, that's Gamaliel. He had said, hey, uh, let's not uh, kill them unless we make them martyrs. <laughs> when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, listen to this, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. It's almost like they'd listened to the Sermon on the Mount at this point. I could paraphrase it this way. Jesus said, if trouble comes your way because you long to see the world put right, you'll be surprisingly happy and rich of soul because your roots are planted deep in the soil of the kingdom of heaven. You doing okay? Last one. Ready for sticks and stones? Nasty words? Real quick. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's like a double emphasis on a really similar point that Jesus makes here. Maybe because, I just thought about it, maybe because rejection from fellow human beings and particularly nasty words. Have you noticed that the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. It only really works in the schoolyard and then it doesn't really work. I've met plenty of people that are advanced in age that are still struggling with things that were said in the schoolyard. Words can still really, really hurt. Yet Jesus says, something happens when this happens to you. The question is, will we run, duck for cover, act ashamed of Jesus in a world that really, as I said, arrogantly boasts inclusivity while ridiculing and cancelling any ideology other than its own? Here's an old quote. I don't know. It's always helped me when troubles come my way and when nasty things have been said. (laughs) If you haven't run head to head with the devil for a while, maybe you're running in the same direction. (laughs) I mean, in all honesty, if we're swimming against the stream, we can expect a little bit of this, can't we? Or are we all just being shamed and intimidated into living a little box where we're not game to actually talk about our faith or fly our colours. My goodness, everyone in this world wants to fly their colours at the moment. And I know some people have done this foolishly. When we talk about persecution, when we talk about this stuff, I'm not talking about the self-inflicted stuff. So don't be the dumb keyboard warrior on social media, please. We've seen enough of them. But I've just been authentically living before this world the way Christ would have us to. Don't be a jerk. We have a phrase for self-initiated persecution. It's called justice. (laughs) Don't be pathetic and then assume it's because of Jesus. But actually, if we do fly our flag for Jesus, at some point, 
a world that doesn't get it is going to come down on it. And somehow Jesus says it's a blessing. (laughs) Again, I'm struggling with this, Lord. Is anyone else? It's a blessing when people speak badly about you, Peter. It's like, no, it isn't. I know it's not. I've experienced it. Jesus said there's a blessing in it. And I think it's because you've experienced what many who've honoured God and stood apart from a corrupt world system have experienced through all the ages. The writer of Hebrews calls them a great cloud of witnesses. And there's just something about standing for Jesus, not as an arrogant jerk, but just as an authentic person with authentic and deep convictions that will not be shaken no matter how this world sways and what sort of leverage it tries to put on you. I know whom I've believed and I am convinced that he will be faithful to keep what I've committed to him until the day I see him face to face. When you stand that way, somehow you've entered that group of people that cloud of witnesses through the ages that have testified by the Spirit of Jesus that He is transformational, He is life-changing. You know, recently I I heard a quick story, and I've got to close up, but I heard a story out of one of our life groups. It's probably not actually that recent. It might be going back to early in the year. And it was uh, someone on a journey, a young person, one of our life groups. They hadn't yet come to a point of faith in Christ But they're actually journaling and praying with the group, which I just, I love that journey. I love that capacity for people to go on that journey. And they were looking at some of the things Jesus said about how we should respond to situations. And in frustration, they said, you know what, if people would just live the way Jesus told them to, the world would be a different place. (laughs) Amen. Amen. It's so true to react in the opposite spirit, to somehow absorb the pain, to even count it an honour, to feel that pressure because we believe in him. Jesus said there is something about that that brings you closer to spiritual reality than what you'll ever be when our hands are raised on a fine happy day and we're shouting hallelujah. There is something about that test of our faith. None of us want it. None of us should go out looking for it. But when it comes your way, And so there's some, actually, I'll just paraphrase this and then I'll ask us some questions. Choose to rejoice when people slander you because of your faith. And I'll I'll use the word when. (laughs) Understanding that by rejoicing in trial, we have joined a heavenly chorus of faith and therefore experience a happiness and richness of soul not felt in easier times. And I'm going to address this question. I think I forgot to pick on someone the second time round, but I'm going to address this to every one of us, this question. When you've been ridiculed or made to feel small or even had bad things spoken about you because of your faith in Jesus, has it moved you to identify with Christ's rejection and be thankful? And people aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus in you. If you're of the spirit of this world, they'd have nothing to say. They'd slap you on the back. But actually, when you just simply live authentically for Jesus, 
the reaction's not actually against you. And our world treated him the same way. And when you can absorb that and be thankful in spite of it, then Jesus said that would be a blessing. That you'll actually be happy. You'll be rich in soul, even on a dark day, even when it doesn't feel good. You're actually able to have joy in that moment because somehow you've just become part of something so much bigger than yourself. Let's ask ourselves these questions. When I find myself in tense situations, do I tend to escalate emotionally and retaliate or am I prepared to absorb unkindness to bring peace? It's a good question, hey? So easy to react in the same spirit. Someone gets angry at you in a shop. Someone gets angry at you in the playground, young people. Someone gets angry at you at work. It's so easy to allow our fight or flight reflex to kick in and to just react in the same spirit. And yet God, by his Holy Spirit, has given us self-control where we can actually react in the spirit of Christ. If my identification with the kingdom of heaven attracts negative attention, do I consider it an outrage or an honour? If my identification with the kingdom of heaven, with Jesus, attracts negative attention, do I consider it an outrage or an honour? And lastly, are any of you struggling with this? I said you would. I know I still am. Everyone's just looking at their shoes right now. Do unkind words directed at my faith in Jesus cause me to complain or to give thanks in faith? And I know we probably all complain initially. I had a thought about this. It was like maybe our maturity in faith could actually be measured by the reaction time between when we get stung and when we give thanks. You know what I mean? The more like Jesus we are, probably the easier that becomes, the quicker it comes, where it's sort of like, oh, okay, sorry, didn't mean to trigger you. (laughs) But I haven't got an issue with you. What what you just said, you know, it's okay. And actually absorb some of the pain, the angst, the fear, the confusion that's out there because that's the root of all that violence, whether it's words or whether it's physical. It's all coming from human fear. And we have a chance to beat Jesus in the middle of it all. Amen. Amen, Jason. You okay there? Why don't you stand with me? Let's stand together. We're going to pray. going to pray. Who's, who's happy we're out of Beatitudes next week? <laughs> Just wait. You wait till you hear what's around the corner when Jesus really starts teaching. Thank you, Father. Lord, thank you for this life you've given us. And we find ourselves in this world, but not of it. Our hearts are removed from it in the sense that we've seen something bigger and clearer in Jesus. So help us to negotiate this. Help us to walk this path, this balance, this fine line of loving people and reaching out 
absorbing some of the pain that might come our way because of it. But mimicking you as best we can every step of the way. Help us, Lord. Come on, who needs help with that? Well, let's reach out. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us. Once again, help us be Jesus wherever we find ourselves this afternoon, tomorrow, all this week. Just help us react, respond in the Spirit of Christ, no matter what's going on. Help us be quick to ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do right now? We thank you for grace to be who you've called us to be. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, you know, friend, you might not be here yet. You might not be in this place of faith. But as I said before, you know, what a different world it would be if everyone did what Jesus said. If everyone followed Jesus, what a different, different world we'd live in. And maybe you can see that today. Maybe you want to become part of the change. Part of what Jesus said was salt and light. That's what he's his people would be. They would preserve the world. They would season the world. They'd bring a different flavor out. And maybe you've seen that today. So if you're here with us right now, online, in Warwick, right here in the room, if you just recognize it's time that I just gave myself over to Jesus, I want to give you the option, the moment to do that. Maybe you've never done it before or you haven't done it for a long time. But there's a point of surrender today. Come on, if that's you, just while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, would you just raise your hand right where you are? God bless you, mate. You can put your hand down. God bless you. I see you. That's awesome. Wonderful. Others in this place, really, really quickly. Online, hey, even in your lounge room, friend, I just encourage you, make some sort of physical response to God. Down there in Warwick, come on, if that's you, don't be afraid. Just put your hand up right where you are. I want to pray for you. Father, we just thank you for people who responded to you. We pray that you'd meet them right now in their heart of hearts, this point of surrender, that you'd meet them powerfully, that they would know your presence in these moments. They would know your forgiveness in these moments. They would know your your grace. They'd have a sense of fresh hope, fresh faith. Flood their hearts in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision, God bless you. I encourage you, follow through. Simply determine to follow Jesus and be like him every day of your life from this point on. I'm going to ask Pastor Sarah to come back.